0: We've been speaking with top economists to better understand what macroeconomic trends are doing to companies' bottom lines. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Sachs, director of the Center for Sustainable Development at Columbia University. What's the biggest risk to companies' bottom lines right now?
1: The biggest risk is uh, the geopolitical turmoil. We have a war raging in Europe Uh, We have uh, tensions between the United States and China and uh, these, unfortunately, uh, both uh, could get worse. We should negotiate a peace in Ukraine. Uh, We should reduce the tensions between the United States and China. Europe and Russia suddenly stopped trading. Uh, There's a lot of uncertainty in world markets because The U.S. and Europe imposed sanctions and then secondary sanctions. So companies are trying to figure out who can I trade with? Who should I not trade with? This has disrupted the world energy markets, which continue to have a a big impact on what the global economy is going to look like.
0: Apparently, productivity has declined in the U.S. and it hasn't picked up since the pandemic. Why do you think that is? What should companies be doing to change their approaches?
1: When you're producing a ton of steel or a bushel of wheat, you can talk about productivity pretty specifically. When you're producing a a range of services, uh, a lot of which are now digital, or you're providing education in different ways, or information is flowing in different ways, our government is so far behind in measurement issues that I personally don't pay too much attention to the official data on productivity, we say that there's very little productivity in the healthcare sector, for example. I think that's absolutely wrong because we're measuring the costs of healthcare. We're not measuring the outputs with a lot of advances of technology. So to my mind, we should be improving what we're measuring. And then we could decide what the real puzzles are after we get the measurements a little bit better.
0: It sort of leads into a conversation about AI. So how is AI transforming companies' bottom lines and how should workers and employers think about how AI can better help their
1: businesses? It's going to change jobs. A lot of people are going to find that the jobs that they've been remunerated for in the past are not going to be the jobs in the future. The returns to owning AI to owning the intellectual property will soar. And that's why we have new trillion-dollar companies. Uh, But for a lot of Americans, it actually means lower real earnings, not higher real earnings, because it means a shift of the income distribution. And we need to understand all of this better so that we can actually make public policies that say, oh, AI is a great thing, but this part of society is going to need help. This part of society is gonna be so incredibly rich that they actually should pay some more taxes. Wall Street is certainly
0: reacting to this AI and they are investing big in it. What should companies be doing to make sure that their employees are not being left to the side?
1: In general, by the way, major technological changes, and they don't happen all that often. The steam engine was one, electrification was another. The winners win more than the losers lose, so net-net, big gain but to say that everybody benefits is has never been true in uh, economic history or economic change so there will be actually significant parts of society that will fall behind and even in the last 40 years 50 years the nature of technological change has favored those with more advanced educations uh, higher degrees Uh, technical uh, educations and so on. This has been a clear trend for the last 50 years. And uh, that means a lot of people have been left behind in the United States. We not only have a huge rise of pre-tax inequality, but we have a big rise of what I would call post-tax and transfer inequality as well. In other words, we're just a much more divided society. Heads of AI who are billionaires are libertarians. They say, "Oh." Yeah, uh, we leave everything alone, leave it to us. Well, that's easy if you're a billionaire, but it's not so easy if you've lost your job. So in this sense, I think that we really need to have a fair assessment of this great potential technology to make sure that it works for society broadly.
0: All right, I want to move on a little bit to the recession or the stalled recession. Why do you think the U.S. has been in this stalled recession? You know, is AI the thing that's saving us? Are we going to be okay?
1: So we're in an inflation phase that is really the end of a cycle that started with COVID and a massive, massive expansion of the money supply. And now the Fed is tightening. It has to. I've always thought that uh, those who say, well, it'll be very short-lived and then go away, didn't understand that the inflationary pressures were rather deep. The Fed increased the money supply by trillions of dollars of what we call high-powered money. That is the Fed-backed currency, the reserves and the currency, trillions. In a very short period of time, it was completely unprecedented. Now we have the inflation. It's not soaring, but it's painful. The Fed has raised interest rates. I don't think they're coming down so fast as uh, some people thought that, oh, you know, we'll get back to near zero interest rates. Very unlikely. But then on top of this has come war, sanctions, geopolitical tensions. These are all what we would call supply shocks. It's a pretty antiseptic term for some pretty awful things happening. But what it means is that it's made it even more difficult to have a clear path forward. I think a recession is quite possible because when things are so bumpy, to get out of this without a recession would be a lot of luck, as well as a lot of uh, good steering. My advice uh, to this administration, if they want to get reelected, stop the war stuff, start the peace stuff, because that's the way the economy is going to go better.
0: Do you have any advice for, you know, employees trying to figure out, you know, how to make the most with their money now that their value is less or employers, they have less credit at their disposal. What should they be doing to make sure their bottom line is still, you know, everything's still
1: good? When there's so much uncertainty, the only general advice is to be prudent, to be careful, not expect uh, that uh, somehow all of this is going to uh, easily sort itself out. Uh, not expect that uh, everything is uh, necessarily going to uh, uh, just be an extrapolation of progress, not to look at the month-to-month saying, oh, everything's fine right now, but to understand that um, we've got really choppy waters uh, for, uh, I'd say, a year or more ahead. A lot of this depends on whether these global challenges get worse, which is really possible.
0: So you're talking about global implications. Let's talk a little bit about your bread and butter, climate change. So how is climate change and climate disasters impacting economic models going forward?
1: Two big things. One is we've got a lot of climate-related shocks and disasters now everywhere, every year. And this is without question, getting worse, more heat waves, more floods, more droughts, more mega forest fires, more high intensity hurricanes and uh, typhoons. It's dramatic. And because of my job working with governments around the world, I see this close up all over the world. And you can't go to a place without hearing about its most recent massive flooding, one in a 100 years. Biggest drought in 500 years, massive heat waves. But we need an energy system quickly that isn't making all of this worse. And this means we need wind, solar, nuclear, zero carbon energy sources. We need electric vehicles. We need to retool how we use energy. Instead of natural gas, we need to strip off the, the carbon from the hydrogen and uh, use blue hydrogen. The tax credits are fine in the IRA, but it would freely help if the government came up with a plan that said, this is how by 2050, we're going to get to zero because then the businesses would say, I get it, we need to do it that way. Here's how I have to change my production line or here's the technology that I need to introduce in my sector the companies that have been truly innovative have scored the biggest. So uh, Elon Musk did think ahead of the curve about electric vehicles and became the richest person in the world by thinking ahead. The politicians can be a little bit slow, but if you're looking ahead, you can really see where the markets are gonna be in five, 10, 20 years. You've talked about these billion dollar disasters that are happening all over the world,
0: and we're seeing an influx of people moving to the US or trying to. Um, The U.S. also has a need for workers. How can the U.S. better, you know, integrate these immigrants? um, And will that help grow the economy? How should we move forward in a world where more people are going to be moving because of climate change?
1: Even if we turned off all the emissions immediately, we would still have decades, maybe even centuries of climate change, but it would be very gradual compared to what we're experiencing right now. So we can't stop what's in in the works already, but we need to do this because there is no way, no way to adapt to what is now in store if we don't change our ways. Because if temperatures rise two, three, four degrees, we're gonna have upheavals that are much larger than our governments can handle. So I don't want that kind of world where tens or hundreds of millions of people are forcibly displaced. I'd like to keep migration policy as a separate issue, uh, that the U.S. should remain an open country and an open society, but not one that is overwhelmed. And if we paid a little bit more attention in our own hemisphere, for example, to the Central American economies, if we just paid a little bit of attention to getting more investment into Central America, to helping with water management to improve productivity of agriculture, we would not be facing the challenges we face right now.
0: Do you think that the U.S. will remain the world's leading economy?
1: I think the U.S. will remain a very rich economy. We will be prosperous if we are nice to each other. Uh, If we are absolutely divided, we will be rich and very unhappy and very unstable. But we will not be the only uh, major economy in the world. In absolute size, China's going to most likely overtake the U.S. very soon. By one measure, what we call purchasing power adjusted GDP, China's already larger than the U.S. But Americans should understand. China's living standards are roughly one-third of Americans' living standards, but the population is four times larger. We're 4.1% of the world population, uh, and uh, we have to accept that with those numbers, we can be big, uh, we can be secure, but we can't necessarily be the largest when there are countries with much, much larger populations than ours.